0: It is really good to be here. Um, thanks for inviting me back. and I, I too thank Ben so much for coming and, and leading worship. And um I bet, I bet he'd come back sometime too if you ask him. He's, he's not that hard to get along with, and he might be able to twist his arm, and, and uh, he knows and loves Mark too. so anyway, <clears throat> uh, I, I was really blessed last Sunday I was here um, just sitting in the congregation with my family. And we had such a good time. We were just really ministered to. And uh, I loved the topic. I I loved the the series, you know, kind of catching the the tail end of the series on living a lifestyle of worship. And I enjoyed thoroughly the things that Mark had to share and was kind of chewing on that that, this week. And our plans changed a little bit about what was going to happen this morning. And so um, I talked to Pastor Dwayne and I said, hey, how about if, you know, I talk about the reckoning and the ABFs, and then I just preach. I don't, you know, I just share. And can I tag team with you guys? Can I talk about, I love this subject, can I talk about a lifestyle of worship? And they gave me permission to do that. And so I want to share some thoughts with you this morning um, that I've been thinking about. And <clears throat> again, a, a lifestyle of worship, a life song worth singing, and I'm I'm not a... a musician or a singer or a worship leader. And so a lot of times, a person like me, just an ordinary guy, sitting in the congregation and I hear some, something about worship, especially from someone who can play the guitar and sing as awesomely as Mark, you know, my temptation is to say, well, of course, that can be your lifestyle. You're awesome at that. I, You know, I'm not that hot. And uh, I, I start thinking, okay, what's the practical way? How can I, as a believer understand what worship is all about and put it into practice and have that be practical, have that be a part of my lifestyle. Because I think a big danger for us as believers is that we live kind of this compartmentalized life. You know what I'm talking about? Um, There's these compartments, like this is the church compartment, and reading the Bible and worship and Sunday school and, you know, stuff like that is in the church compartment. And then the other compartment is the rest of the week for me where I'm out and about in the workaday world. I'm working. I'm serving people. I'm trying to keep, you know, body and soul together. And it's kind of like I go into the world and I do my thing. And then I retreat from that on, and run back into the Lord's presence on Sunday. Oh, You know, and that's kind of my worship day. And I I don't think that's what God has in mind. And so I've just been really thinking and praying and saying, how can I change? How can my life become more of an act of worship and and it be my lifestyle, not just something I do once in a while, but that is actually something I'm walking in, in my life. Does that make sense? Anyone think that's worth talking about? Okay, about three people. No, no. A lot more people than that. But uh, so that, that's what I want to talk about a little today. And <clears throat> I want to ask this question, or two questions actually. How do I live a lifestyle of worship? How do you do it? Do I have to go to guitar school and, <clears throat> you know, take voice lessons and, you know, or learn to chant like Benedictine monks or what, you know, what do I do? How do I do that? And then I guess probably as important a question as how do I do it is why should I? Like, why should I? What? Is it just because it's a spiritual thing to do or what, you know, why, why would I want to? And here's what's interesting about motivation is that you ultimately only really do the things you want to do. Did you know that? I mean, there's things like I don't want to go to work and, you know, wake up in the morning and think, gee, I wish I was sitting on a beach in Hawaii, you know, and I have to make myself go to work. But I, I want to because I'm allergic to starvation, you know, I've been allergic to that since I was a kid and... You know, not paying bills and things. Those are some of my least favorite things. So, you know, I kind of make myself. But I, I, I want to, okay? And the cool thing about God, if you study his word, it's really interesting. If you read the New Testament, you hear the preaching of Jesus, he always gave us motivation, and I like that about him. You know, I grew up, my dad is really a great guy, and many people here actually know him, Les Troyer. And uh, growing up in his home, he was, you know, he grew up Amish, and then he was also a Depression-era, you know, child. And he was pretty old school, you know what I mean? Like, when my dad told us to do something, we, know, we knew he meant it. And he would back it up sometimes by little, you know, uh, friendly reminders, you know, uh, take you out behind the woodshed and, you know, really make sure that the uh, board of education was applied to the seed of knowledge. You know what I'm talking about? And my dad would tell us to do things sometimes, and we, we'd ask why, and he'd say, because I'm the dad and you're the son. That's why. Now get out of bed. We're going to work, you know, or, or something like that. And, and that's so, how... That, that's cool. He mellowed a lot with age and learned some different techniques too. But you know what's awesome about God? He could do that to us, right? He could do that. Jesus could have appeared and said, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to do that because I'm God and you're not. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you. That, that's how he could have come preaching, right? He, he is God after all. He can kind of do what he wants. But that's not what he did. You know, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, this is so cool. Jesus preached, and he he said some very, very powerful things, things I'd like to live my life by. In fact, the first verse, I think I told this church this one time, your church this one time, but the first verse I always teach my children, when my children come into the world, I have three of them, uh, the first Bible verse I teach them, taught them, was, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's the first verse I want my kids to memorize. And when they could just barely talk, they learned that verse. In fact, for my two youngest children, after my firstborn was born, those were the first words they heard. I was the first human being to hold my children when they were born. They were born, came out of the womb into the arms of their father. And I took my little children, Rayanan and Samuel, my daughter and my son. And I whispered into their ear the first verse I taught my oldest son. I held them up and I said, Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. First words they heard out of the womb. What's so cool about Jesus is, again, he could have said, You better be pure in heart or I'll kill you. Or I'll send you to hell. I'll pull a lever, you will go straight to hell if you're not pure in heart. He could have, no, he's God. That's not what he did. He gave us a benefit. He said, you know what? The reason why you want to be impure in heart is you'll see God. And that, that's a good thing. That purity of heart opens your eyes to see God. It, it opens your eyes to see him around you in the world, work in, and you'll eventually see him when you stand before him in heaven. Because true pureness of heart doesn't come from me. It actually comes from Jesus Christ. It comes because he died on the cross for me and his blood washes me clean of all sin and makes my heart, which is not all that pure, pure again. I think that's awesome. See, God made us to pursue value. We pursue things that are valuable. Am I right? You know, if they're not valuable, we don't pursue them. I could, you know, I could be walking in downtown Apple Creek and You know, I could drop this piece of paper, um, which is draw me close uh, lyrics on on the ground, on the sidewalk in Apple Creek. And how long would that piece of paper stay there? I'm actually asking you. You know, (laughs) a couple days, you know, who knows, some civic-minded person or some person from Fairlawn who's like really, you know, gracious would pick it up, right, or something. I I don't know. But the wind would probably blow it around. Okay. So now, how about this piece of paper right here? This is paper, too. How about this piece of paper? If this fell on the street of Apple Creek, Ohio, how long would this last? Might not hit the ground, right? Someone, you know, yeah, I'd drop it. Someone, Why? I, again, I'm really asking. You can talk to me. Say it loud. It's got value, right? It's valuable. And when people see it, if something's valuable, they pursue it. They pick it up. They preserve it. They use it. They get the benefit out of it. They go to McDonald's and get something off the dollar menu, or they go to the store and they buy a dollar's worth of carrots, you know, depending on their eating habits or whatever. But they get something with it because it's valuable. They use it. They get the value out of it. God is smart. He tells us things like, you know what? Listen, this is valuable. If you're pure in heart, something really good is going to happen for you. The reason he explains that to us is he doesn't motivate by fear. He doesn't. Now, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You're starting to get smart if you're a little scared. But it's the love of God that he wants to motivate us with. And So when he talks to us about truth from his word, he likes to tell us the value, what's in it for you. He likes to, you know, maybe say, hey, why should you do this? See, I like this picture, this old school radio up here. And uh, I jotted this down for you. W-I-I-F-M. This is everyone's favorite radio station. W-I-I-F-M just means what's in it for me. Okay? (laughs) And Jesus, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? For they shall see God. For they shall see God. And everything that he asks us to do, there's a reason. He's not up in, sky, in the sky, you know, somewhere far away, this angry old man with a long beard, and he's an egomaniac and just wants to boss people around. Like he's on some kind of weird control trip, and it just massages his ego to have us run around and do what he wants. That's not what God is about. God is love. And when he asks us to do something or he tells us not to do something, it's because he loves us very much. And there's a benefit. It's the best thing for us. It's the best thing for us. So if the Lord tells me, don't lie, it's not because he's up, you know, he's kind of the truth police up in heaven, but he knows how damaging lying is to myself and to others and how it breaks trust. And he knows my life will be better if I don't do it. Does that make sense? And so some of the benefits I just want to talk about he tells us in his word, in, in the book of James, it says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So one of the benefits, if I listen to Tim Troyer preach on a lifestyle worship and I actually go out and start doing some of the things, what's the benefit? Well, number one, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. If you don't feel close to God this morning, he didn't move. He didn't move. We we did. And that all I have to do is I have to draw near to him, and if I'll just even start taking steps towards him, God will run towards me. I don't have to feel lonely. I don't have to feel that God is far away. I don't have to feel that my Christianity is boring. If it is, if I'm getting lukewarm, it's not a sign there's a problem with God. It means somehow that I haven't drawn near to him. Even made a feeble attempt to draw near, to talk to him, to worship him with my life. I mean, I don't know about you, but that is a great benefit. That God loves me. I like to ask people sometimes, I say, what do you think God's dominant emotion is? How does he feel most of the time? You know what they tell me? I just have to ask a couple questions. And they go, well, I think mostly he's kind of angry. You know, that's not God's dominant emotion. In fact, some people don't draw near to God because they're afraid of what he might say. Most of us have what's called a prohibitive conscience. This is fun. I'm a business coach in my real life, so I work in businesses helping leaders grow. Um, and well, it's interesting to watch people because, you know, how many of you at work, like if you're a supervisor or your boss, um, they, they come out of their door and they say, hey, excuse me, can you step in here? I need to talk to you for a second. Uh, how many of you would go, oh, shoot, what did I do? That's called prohibitive conscience. About 90% of the population has that, that we have this assumption, uh-oh, You know, if someone says, hey, I need to talk to you for a minute, would you step in here? Even if they say it in a neutral voice, we're like, what did I do? No one, you know, we're not usually thinking, I bet I got employee of the month. They're probably going to give me a bonus. You know, they're probably going to make a statue of me and, you know, as a model employee. We don't don't think that way. A lot of times we think that about God. We think, what would God say if he showed up? If we drew near to him and he showed up, what would he say? I think a lot of us think he would tell us about how bad we've blown it, that we're not very good Christians, that, you know... (laughs) We're kind of goofy in our commitment and things like that. And you know what? We don't draw near because we don't want to hear that. In fact, I think a lot of us live our lives keeping him a little bit at arm's length because we feel like if he doesn't notice us, maybe we're kind of sitting in the back, he won't notice us and he won't, because if he really knew us, he would reject us. You know, that's not true. I'm here to tell you this morning, you're unconditionally accepted and loved by God. I'm saying on the authority of his word. I tell you, in the name of Jesus, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you to myself with cords of loving kindness. God's not mad. God's not mad. That's not his dominant emotion. In fact, he says, I'm love. God is love. Now, is God unhappy about sin and stuff like that? Of course he is. Of course he is. But does that mean that he looks at us as his children and that we have to be afraid of him? No. In fact, the Bible says that if you draw near to him in your time of need, usually my time of need is when I've really blown it really bad. He says, if you draw close to me to find help in time of need, you're going to find grace at my throne. In fact, Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, I didn't come for people who've got it all together. I didn't come for the, you know, People are perfect. I came for the sick. I came for people who have the courage and the honesty to admit that they're sinners, that they're needy, that they're not perfect. So that's who I came for. And I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came into the world that through me, through my atoning sacrifice, the world might be saved. So does God deal with issues? Does, is he unhappy over certain things I do at times? Sure. But do I have to fear him? Do I have to, I have to fear that he's going to reject me? No, I don't. He's love. And if I draw near, he'll draw near to me. Here's the second benefit. It makes a really amazing statement to the world if we live a life of worship. Do you remember this story in the New Testament? It was a story of Paul and one of his sidekicks, Silas. And they they were preaching. They were kind of going and talking to people about the Lord and things like that in this this place, I think it was Philippi. and, And they got in trouble for that. They got arrested and they got thrown in jail, which never looks good on your resume. And, you know, so they're in jail and not only are they in jail, but they got whipped and beaten. And then they got put in stocks. And they're sitting in jail, and you know, their backs are red and raw. They're sore. I, I'm sure, you know, my temptation would be like, wow, is this what you get for trying to help God? You know, is this what you get for preaching? And they're sitting there, and it's about midnight. And they do this very amazing thing. They pick that moment to start to worship God. And i gotta, I got to tell you, from the world's perspective, that kind of thing is really, really abnormal. But what's interesting in the Christian life, a lifestyle of worship, that's normal. See, it's one thing for me to be all Christianified. I don't know if that's really a word, but it's, you know, it's one thing for me to be all Christian-y when the sun is shining and the birds are singing and it's kind of a Cheerios morning or something like that. That's easy. But how about... How about if the circumstances of your life, you've been beat up, you're in jail, you haven't done anything wrong, you've been falsely accused. You know, and I think my temptation at that moment would be to be angry with God, but instead Paul and Silas did something pretty interesting. They began to worship him. Middle of the night, the darkness of their jail cell, they start to sing to the Lord. And everyone's listening to them. I think if you can sing or you can tell God how great he is, when you're having the worst day of your life. When you can tell God, I love you, I believe in you, you are in control, I worship you. When you're on a pipeline crew and you accidentally, your backhoe goes down through and cuts a, you know, a long distance power line that you didn't, you know, and you, you could lose your business, you're, you're in desperate trouble or something like that. At that moment, if you can say, God, I love you. You're in control. I believe in you. It is one of the most amazing and powerful statements you can make, both to the world and to God. What happened was God started shaking the prison, the doors were open, their chains fell off, and a lot of other exciting stuff happened. I'd say that's a big benefit. I'd say that beats the alternative. And that's why I want to cultivate a lifestyle of worship, Number three, it also gives you victory over selfishness and all the darkness that the world throws at you. I think one of the greatest um, ways to counteract selfishness is worship. It's, it's to think about God and how great he is and to tell him about it. Because I'm, I'm basically a pretty selfish guy. I, I'd like to think I'm not, but I was born, my first words were, you know, which means... I want food, give it to me right now. I mean, that's okay when you're a baby. That's what you're supposed to do. That's kind of your job. And, uh, but as I got older, um, I, no- I noticed that was kind of the pattern in my life, that I-, I really, you know, was the person that I wanted pleased above everyone else. And then it took me kneeling at the cross and saying, Lord, I'm not God, you are. I choose to get off of the throne of my life and let you sit on the throne. You be Lord that was the answer to the self-focus and selfishness of my life. But you know what? I'm a great backseat driver. I, I just keep wanting to take the steering wheel from the Lord. I keep wanting to get back on the throne. And for me, one of the best things that can happen is not just here on Sunday morning when I can come and Van leads us and I can worship him and focus on how great he is, but it's also when I'm driving in my car. And maybe I'm not even singing or listening to music. I'm just saying to him, you're God and I'm not. It's the best counteraction, you know, I can find to the selfishness that is in my life as a person. Those are the best benefits I could think up. Maybe there's a whole lot more. But I really think that's a reason for you to say, I want to learn, and that's why I'm saying this morning, I want to learn that my lifestyle be a worship, an act of worship to God. So, Let's talk about three quick ways and we'll be done. The first way I was thinking of how, how can my life be an act of worship to God comes from um, this scripture in Romans 12, verse 1. And I believe the word of God is powerful. And it's my honor to read this over you this morning. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you. And I got to tell you, when the Bible urges you to do something, it's, it's a pretty good idea that, that it's important. So, therefore I urge you, brothers... In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Isn't that cool? This is your spiritual act of worship. So he's saying, look, in light of all the mercy of God, he sends his son, he dies on the cross, and in the Bible it says that God took every sin you ever committed, every accusation that could be made against you, it says that it was written out, and it was nailed to the cross. It was like a warrant for your arrest. So think of the stuff you wouldn't want anyone to know in this building right now. Okay? I'm not talking about the sin where you kind of lost your temper a little bit. I'm talking about stuff that none of us here would want projected up on this screen and anyone to know. Whatever comes to your mind, whatever you would feel guilt or shame or sorrow or mourn over in the sins you've committed in your life, God says... All those written accusations were nailed to the cross with Jesus. And then he's washed them clean. They're gone. And he says, In view of that, because that is so amazing, please, your reasonable act of worship to the Lord is to present yourself to him a living sacrifice. That means that you would give him your body and you would say, God, I give myself to you, I am yours. Use me any way you choose. I am your hands. I am your feet. Look around at the body of Christ this morning. We're called the body because we're his hands and we're his feet on this earth. Everything God wants to do, he accomplishes through people like you and me who are a part of his spiritual family. Now, he works through angels and he does a whole lot of other cool stuff, but primarily, you know, it's through us. We're his hands. And when I get up in the morning... It maybe not like singing a beautiful song because that's not real easy for me. But you know, I get up in the morning and me just starting the day by saying, "Here I am. I'm presenting myself to you this morning, God. I'm I'm a living sacrifice. I get up on the altar. I belong to you. I don't belong to myself." Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you're here and you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe, you know, you you know who he is, you know about him, but, you know, it's like there's this time, I had a conversation yesterday with someone who's seeking the Lord, and she said to me, when does it happen? How do you know that you've become a Christian? Is it it a long process? Is it a short event? And I said, it's kind of different for everyone, but it's it's kind of a process and an event. I said, you know, when I fell in love with my wife, I remember the first time I saw her, I didn't just run up to her and say, hey, will you marry me? You know, that would have definitely scared her off. But I, you know, I got to know her. She got to know me. I had this growing feeling like, hey, there should be a relationship here. And so I said that part was a process, but there was, was a time where I had to get down on my knees and say, will you marry me? And then there was a time when I came to a church like this one, and I stood up at an altar in front of everyone, and I made a commitment to her, and she made a commitment to me, and we were married at that moment. And I told this person seeking the Lord, I said, it's like that with God. He's wooing you to himself, but he's not going to hold a gun to your head and say, you're going to marry me or you're going to be a Christian. It's your choice. It's the greatest gift you can give him. You can say, Lord, I'm yours. And it's that kind of a commitment. It's like getting married. It's like saying, you know, Jesus, I, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that your sacrifice for my sins is effective and I want to live my life for you. I want to give my life to you. I want the sign over my life to be under new management. That you are now the manager. You're the Lord of my life. That is the most powerful act of worship that a human being can give to God. And if you haven't done that, I want to encourage you. You can do that today. It's that simple. You pray. You can get help from someone here. You don't, you don't even really need our help. You can just pray Say, Lord, I, I'm a sinner. I know it. I'm lost without you. I, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I, I, I receive the gift that you're giving, and I commit my life to you. I want to live under your lordship. It, it's really that simple. That's, you do that. It's the greatest act of worship a human being can do. And then if you get up tomorrow morning and you say, hey, I'm not super worship man or something like that or super worship woman, but you know what? Today, God, you can live through me. I offer you my body I'm your hands and your feet. What do you want done today? I will do your will. And the Bible says that is a spiritual act of worship. So whether you can't sing, you can't carry a tune in the bucket in a bucket, doesn't matter. If you can do that, you are doing true spiritual worship. Offer yourself to God, all of you. Down at the bottom there, I say, saying no, Lord, doesn't make sense, right? If I say, no, Lord, then he's not really Lord, right? It's like, no, Lord. Well, then, if I'm saying no, he's not really Lord. It's yes, Lord. What do you want? I think probably if you're like me, I feared. I grew up in a Christian home, and I, fe- I feared giving my life to the Lord because you know what I was sure of? He would make me do something I didn't want to do, Right? It's like a friend of mine told me he didn't give his life to the Lord because he was afraid that, you know, the Lord would have him marry someone unattractive and, you know, go to Africa and eat dirt and, you know, whatever. And I jokingly told him, you're not that attractive either there, buddy. Uh, what are you worried about? And, which he thought was pretty funny. But um, actually, God loves us so much. He's not going to make you do something unpleasant. He knows what you were born for. He made you the happiest you can be. The happiest you can be is doing the life that He designed for you. He's got an adventure for you. And if you live out that adventure, if you say, Lord, I'm here to do your will, that's a life of fulfillment. That's a life of excitement. Uh, second, second thing that we can do starting right, well, not today, but, you know, or some of us maybe today, but tomorrow, is we can understand that our work is worship. And Mark talked about this last week, and I thought it was so good. He he talked about the different words in Hebrew for for worship. And in Genesis 2.15, it tells us that God's calling for man is to work for him uh, in his garden, okay, in his creation. So when God made Adam, he said, I've made you. Now I want you to work in my garden. And what's interesting is Mark mentioned this word. The Hebrew word used here is this word abad. And this word abad means work. Or worship, it's the same word. Isn't that interesting? Work and worship, it's the same word. In fact, the only way you can tell the difference in the scripture is by context. Of which it is. I love that. So what that means is that Adam's work, working in God's creation, God said is an act of worship to him. Very cool. And I think maybe God is a lot more interested in this than us just singing a song to him once in a while. You know, because I think, I love that song. I think it's Matt Redman or somebody like that. He's uh, Heart of Worship. You know that? You've heard that song before? You know, come back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. And it it talks about that God is looking, you know, he's looking for more than a song. He's looking for more than that. And this is such a cool thought. If, If our work, I can do this and you can do this. If our work is worship, what it means is, Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with your with all your heart, as working for the Lord. As worshipping the Lord. Not For men, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So what this means is, if I'm a shoe salesman, and I go in to sell shoes tomorrow, and I get down on my knees, and when people who need shoes come in, I put shoes on their feet as if I'm putting those shoes on the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or if I'm a plumber, and I go to someone's house who has a leaky pipe, and I go in there, and I abode I fix that pipe as if it was Jesus' house for him. That's what the scripture is teaching us. Everything I do becomes this amazing act of worship to the Lord. I mean, if I'm a spud farmer in Idaho and I'm out in a field by myself and I get down on my hands and knees and I dig up some potatoes as if I'm digging them up for the Lord, everything I do becomes an act of worship for the Lord. And that's a lot more of what he's looking for than singing a couple songs. And that's what's cool. Imagine if everyone in Fairlawn, imagine as a community of faith, every one of us this week, we went into the community and everything we did, everything we did, every business deal, every dish we washed, every student we taught, everything we sold, we did it as if we were doing it for the Lord. You know, Anabaptists have had a powerful, powerful impact on the United States, and they've had a powerful impact on business. It was interesting, Quakers in Philadelphia, they became you know, these really famous shoemakers, and it was interesting, this is what they said. They said, we aren't, putting, we aren't making shoes to make a profit, we are making shoes to clothe the naked feet of our neighbors. That every pair of shoes we make, we are making it as if it will go on the feet of Jesus Christ. You know what's amazing? They become the most successful business people around. Isn't that funny? They weren't chasing money. Money chased them. Blessing chased them because their heart was right. It was, hey, this is not about money. This is about serving the Lord in everything that we do. What would happen in our community if suddenly every Christian started working like that? What happened if everyone in our community, you know, someone's painting stripes on the road and they say, you know, today, Lord, I'm not putting a bumper sticker on my car. In fact, maybe no one else knows it, but I'm putting these stripes down on the road as if I'm doing it for you. Abad. Suddenly, our whole life becomes an act of worship for the Lord. Instead of this compartmentalized life or, you know, I got my spiritual life over here and got my secular life over here, Kind of got this double-mindedness. You know what the Bible says about double-minded people? It says they're unstable in all their ways. I look at my life sometimes, and I see some instability. You know I think it's there? Because I'm double-minded. I'm double-minded. I'm trying to live half of my life in the workaday world, and, you know, or not even half, most of it, actually, and then just kind of show up on Sunday morning and get my Jesus pill or whatever it is. When the reality of God's looking... He's saying, hey, the whole world, if we do our good deeds in front of men, they're going to glorify our Father in heaven. You know, instead, sometimes we show the opposite. Like I had a friend of mine who was working for a guy, and, you know, I, I just got to say this. Um, if you're a Christian working for somebody, we, we really should be the best employees, you know that, not, not the worst ones. I had a friend who was working for someone, and he got in trouble, and he told me, I'm getting persecuted at work. And I said, really? You're getting persecuted at work? He goes, yeah, I was was preaching about Jesus, and they told me to shut up. I said, really? He goes, yeah, they said shut up and work more. Boy, the devil's after me. You need to pray for me. And I said, you're right, I need to pray for you. I need to pray for you to shut up and work harder. Oh, he was so mad at me when I said that. I said, you don't, you don't get paid to tell people about Jesus at work. You get paid to work. Now, are you allowed to talk about Jesus? Yeah, just like I'm allowed to talk about my kids or anything else that's important to me. But have, have some smarts. You know, your, your boss, if he sees the laziest person in the shop, the person whose life is less together, is the one who's always preaching about the Lord, what do you think when you see that? Like, isn't it bad advertising? Like, can I get real, just for a minute? The fun thing is, like, I can say outrageous things and then you can be mad at Dwayne because I won't be here next week. Don't don't be mad at him, but I I just want to get real real here for a second. I have a lot of compassion for people, but I live in Sugar Creek, and every once in a while, I see a car and I don't think the people live in Sugar Creek, I, you know. but every once in a while I see them, and, and, and I see this car, and it, it has all these bumper stickers, you know, follow me as I'm following Jesus, and honk if you love Jesus, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, I think it's wonderful to have bumper stickers like that, but then it's probably pretty important that you drive like you're a Christian then too, you know, or you, you maybe wash your car once in a while, or, you know, some other things like that. And, and I, I look at this, and I, I think, hey, I'm not condemning anyone because I wonder if my life's like that. I wonder if, you know, I talk about Jesus and then people look at my life and go, whew, whatever you got, I'm not buying. You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? And I think that if, if we would work, you know, I told this person, you know, I said, look, I, I think if you would work hard and really do what your employee want, or your employer wants you to do and you'd really serve him faithfully, I think he would listen to anything you have to say. But if he's paying you to work and you're talking... I said, it doesn't matter talking about the Lord or talking about the Browns or talking about Amway or, you know, whatever it is that you'd be talking about instead of working, it's wrong. And you're ripping your boss off. And if you will be the best employee, if you will work and serve your boss as if you're serving the Lord, you may open the door for him to trust you and you can say anything you want. How many of you say, yes, Tim is making sense at this moment? It's a fact. We have this goofy, we have this lack of emotional intelligence as Christians, you know. We, go, we think witnessing, you know, is walking up something. someone, hey, if you die right now, where'd you go, heaven or hell, huh, huh, huh? Where'd you go, heaven or hell, huh, huh, huh? What, no one, I mean, is there anyone here that thinks, ooh, wow, that's really effective. Boy, that's how you lead people to the Lord. Is there anyone? I mean, It's ridiculous. Just like if I walked up to you on the street and said, hey, can we be best friends, can we? Huh? huh. Can we be best friends, can we? Can we be best friends, can we? How many of you would run if I did that? You're smart, you know? Because that's not not how you build relationship with people, and it's not how we build relationship with the Lord. That's not how we do it. We love people, certainly we proclaim the message, but we live it first, and that is We serve as if we're working for the Lord and people see our good deeds and they glorify our Father in heaven. Does that make sense? How about if we do that this week? Does that sound like a plan? How about if, you know, if you're a homemaker and you begin to wash your dishes and you're tired and you think, man, all I do is wash dishes. How about if you just said, Lord, I'm washing these dishes today. You know who I am. You know me. And I want to wash this dish so clean Because it's like, I'm doing it for you, Lord. I'm changing diapers. I'm, you know, blowing noses, cleaning glass. that's just going to get dirty again. But Lord, I'm doing it for you, as unto you. Something happens when people do that. Okay, closing. This is the third thing I'd like to suggest we do. I think a lot of times we think that Um, And it's listened to to him knock. But I think a lot of times what happens is we think that worship is dependent on us. So we think, well, if I get up and I feel real good and happy, then I'm going to worship the Lord and everything's going to be great. When in reality, it's kind of like communication. When I say the word communication, everyone thinks, or mostly we think it's about talking. When in reality, communication is also about listening. Right? So we say, ah, a person's a real good communicator. We don't just mean they talk good. We you know, they, they really know how to listen. And so here, here's what I'm going to suggest, and I think this will help us all a lot. But <clears throat> there's this verse from Revelation 3.20, and it says, Here I am, Jesus talking. I stand at the door and knock. And probably you've seen this picture before. It's a famous picture, you know, of Christ kind of like knocking on a door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Revelation 3.20. And so what the Lord is saying, and this is interesting, he was talking to a lukewarm church when he said this. You know, this is a verse people use for evangelism, like you're in VBS and someone says, you know, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and Jesus is knocking and wants to come in, and we use it for evangelism. But you know, this, is not, this was not a verse written to non-Christians for evangelism. This was a verse written to Christians who were lukewarm, who were wealthy. They were satisfied. They were sitting on their cushion in church, not doing anything. And the Lord sent him a letter, and he said, you're lukewarm. You're not hot. You're not cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That's who he wrote it to. Kind of sounds like he wrote it to me and maybe some other people here. And here's what he said. He said, the answer to your lukewarmness, and I'm not getting on anyone's case, I, you know, I kind of say to myself, if there was a time I was more excited about the Lord than I am right now, then I, I need a little help from him. I'm in danger of being lukewarm. And this is his cure. Okay? Now, this is why it's good that Jesus is the son of God and, and not me. Because how I would have written this is I'd be like, Look, you're lukewarm. I'm about to spit you out of your mouth, my mouth. I'm really mad at you. And if you come over to my house and knock on my door loud enough, I may hear you and come to, know, come to the door. And if you knock real loud and you're real sorry, then I'll let you in again. That's how I would have written it. But you know, that's not what Jesus said. He said, hey, your life's kind of humdrum. You're not very excited about God or spiritual things. You're lukewarm. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I can't, I can't take it. It's like when you forget a cup of coffee, it cools down, you think it's going to be warm, you drink it, you know, and you spit it out because it's just so gross. He says, here's what I'm going to do. Here's the cure to lukewarmness, okay? So anyone who needs this cure, please apply. He says, I'm actually going to come to your house. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come to you and I'm going to knock on the door. And if you hear my voice, all you have to do is open the door. Let me in. In other words, I'm going to initiate contact. I'm going to initiate contact with you. I'm going to show up. And all you, all you have to do is listen for me. That's all. You don't have to do anything else. I'll do the work. All I want you to do is listen. And when I show up, just open the door. Here's, here's what this looks like. This week if we listen to his if we listen for his voice as an act of worship if we're like listening and waiting it could be that i'm driving in my car this week minding my own business and i'm driving along and you know so i was working in cleveland this week so you know i'm driving down 77 or 21 you know and I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, I see a rest stop sign up ahead, and and then just I get this little tiny feeling, and it's so faint, I can barely hear it, but I had this feeling, you know what I ought to do? I ought to just pull into that rest stop, turn my car off, lean back, and just say, God, I love you so much, and I commit this day to you, thank you. What would that take, like 20 seconds, and then start my car up and, and keep going? That's what I mean, where you would actually do that, where he will come and he will woo. He'll say something or you're walking up to turn the TV on and just before you turn it on you think, you know what, I ought to just take 30 seconds and pray. I ought to just take 30 seconds right now and tell the Lord how good he is. See, he's wooing like that all of the time. He's, he's wooing like that. Or you, you could be in the grocery store, walking through the grocery store, and you could see an elderly woman there, and she's got a little few groceries, and you could just feel suddenly this weird urge, like, I should buy this person's groceries. Okay, now, how many of you, you, you just, you've had those kind of weird inklings in your life? Let me, let me see your hands. You've just felt, look around. Seriously, you've been at a restaurant, you see someone, you think, I should buy their meal, and you don't even know why. Ra- raise your hand higher so people can see. That's the Lord wooing you. That's the Lord knocking at your door and saying, hey, if you let me in right now, I'll eat with you. It'll be intimate. I'll I'll relate to you. In the middle of the week, you're playing catch, you know, with a football with your son, throwing the football back and forth in the backyard. You're talking. You're laughing. And all of a sudden, you have this weird inkling. You're like, you know what? The neighbor... Two doors down, the young man who lives there lost his dad three years ago in a car accident, and I would just go over there and see if he wouldn't want to, like, throw the football with us. Nothing fancy. We'll just, it'll be three of us instead of two of us. You know, a lot of times we do, we're like, eh, that's a crazy thought, or I wouldn't want, nah, you know, that would probably be a bother or something like that, because we think we're thinking it up when really it's the Lord saying, I know how to get lukewarm people excited about God. He's really good at it. He knows how. He he knows how to knock. And if we'll just listen, if we'll just obey kind of those urges that he brings along, it's the shortest cut, really, to getting excited about God and on fire for him. It's not about my effort. I'm not really smart enough to do that. But it's about those inklings. It's about the wooing of the Holy Spirit. Do you know... The Bible says that no one comes to the Father without that. You know that? The Bible says so. It says no one comes to God unless the Holy Spirit draws them. So people tell me, I found Jesus. I like to tell them, he wasn't lost. <laughs> you were. He drew you to himself with cords of loving kindness. So you want to do an experiment this week? I guarantee it's revolutionary. This is fun. Just make a commitment today. Just say, you know what? I'm going to, every time the Lord woos me, any inkling I'm going to be listening for it this week, I'm going to be listening for knocking. And when it comes, I just might do those things that I feel that I'm being led to do at that moment. And let's just see what happens. All right? That's what I think a lifestyle worship is all about. That's the end of my time. But I'd like to pray with you, and I'd like you to stand with me. Lord, I, I thank you for the chance to be here and to share your word. I thank you for... Last week, and the things that were said, and in this series, and I pray that our lives will be lives of worship to you. God, I, I pray for anyone here who's never really given their life to you. It's the, the most powerful act of worship they could do. I pray that this would be the day when they settle accounts with you. They wouldn't leave this building without praying and saying, Jesus, come into my heart. I surrender. And Lord, I pray for every person here that we'll have this insight into what your word says about using work as worship, that we would tomorrow and the next day and the next day begin to do everything that we do as if we are doing it for you so that all of our life becomes a statement of worship, that we serve our employers and we serve our employees as if we're serving the Lord and that we win a chance to speak about who you are. And the Lord I pray especially for anyone here who feels discouraged, who feels lukewarm, who feels just kind of blah. And ask that you would show up and knock on their doors. I ask that this would be a week where your spirit woos us and then we'd listen. It would be unmistakable. We'd like, we'd say, ah, you know what? This is so weird, but I just have this strong feeling that I'm supposed to open up the Bible after supper tonight and just read part of Psalm 100 to my family and we don't, we don't usually do that, but I, I just feel like if I do that, it's what God wants. And, or being kind to a stranger, or whatever you ask us to do, I invite you, Spirit of the Lord, to woo us back. You wooed us in the first place. You drew us, and I ask you to draw us back to our first love, to a lifestyle of worship. I bless my friends here. Let it be a great week.